really a selfless position. Uh, no fullback. It's, it's all dirty work. I mean, there's no real glory, and he's not really getting the ball in carries. And you know, not. I threw. It, I definitely throw it to him. Um, but being a lead blocker really sets the tone for uh, for the offense. It's a very valuable position, and uh, anyone that can create holes and that physical style toughness in the run game is really important for us. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Kyle Hey everybody, welcome to episode 16 of season 3 of the Fantasy Fullback Dive, brought to you by the good people at the Rose Street Journal. This, of course, part 4 of our epic four-part series, which has featured a couple of the biggest fantasy names in the business. That, of course, isn't even counting our own Wolf of Rotor Street himself, coming to us on location from his car. As far as I know, the third person to come at us from a car, uh, we had Grant Paulson, coming to us from a car and we've definitely had the incomparable ryan hannibal on at least one occasion in his car and now the wolf of rotor street himself joining them wolf how you doing i'm doing fantastic and not not car for long i'm almost home at this point uh and route from getting our absolute asses beaten lacrosse jv lacrosse uh woes right now but uh Almost there, almost home. Got five minutes, and uh, I'm all fired up from the loss. We just got our asses spanked. I uh, just found out my season's an extra week long because we got a game moved for no fucking reason. Um, but still, I love the boys. We're, we'll bounce back, uh, and I'm excited to just be doing this because you know this is my kind of my haven, my escape from everything, so I can finally get back on a roto street and get back to fantasy talk. When you get your ass handed to you in, in JV lacrosse, do you do you feel bad yourself? Like, do you, oh, do you, course. do you feel like, do you feel like, you know, it starts with the coach? Yeah, I think, I think any good sports team, like the, the coach and, you know, you got to take ownership. I don't know much about lacrosse offense. I played the sports just hit people because I was a football player and that was my outlet. So I know how to coach up a defense, but I, I'm still learning how to teach an offense. So I, I take that. The bus got lost today, so we were, you know, 20 minutes late to the game. We had five minutes to warm up, so when we gave up seven goals in the first quarter, it mm. wasn't shocking, but it, at the end of the day, you just teach the kids no excuses, no fucking blaming anything else. You own the shit. You you know, what pisses me off is when they laugh and are joking and, like, they're, you know, it's, we're just getting spanked right now. I don't care if it's JV lacrosse or anything in life. You don't laugh while you're getting spanked. So, yeah. you know, that, that's how I felt about the game today. Uh, I was pretty pissed off. Silent bus ride home. The, but we'll, ba- we'll bounce back and, and I can talk some fantasy. How I, was your Mother's Day? I, your my Mother's Day was all right. I mean, I'd, al- I'd almost rather talk about, like, uh, my coaching glory days. I mean, I, I also blame myself, like, pretty much every game I ever lost. And, yeah. and, and nothing made me matter than when we lost a game uh, that I felt like we probably shouldn't have lost. And they were just kind of jovial on the bus. They were just oh. kind of like, Chad, I just wanted to be like, do you realize we just got our asses kicked? Right. Like, like are they better than us? Really? Really? Like, you know, right. like, I mean, anyway, so I would get really angry about that, too. I saw, so Infi- I saw Infinity War on Saturday. I have not seen it yet. How was it? What did you think? I mean, pretty fucking awesome. I've heard, I haven't heard a single bad review yet. I mean, I'm a pretty big... Uh, comic book geek and specifically the bad guy in infinity gauntlet is like my favorite comic book character of all time so i've literally been waiting thanos or thanos or thanos yeah thanos Thanos. i mean i I, i've been waiting for this for like you know 25 years probably yeah so so this and and he they nailed him like i it's so rare that they do a movie of something that i love like in book form or anything and then they do it justice um and they they did it was great you got to check it out you should see it while it's still in the theater even if you're not a comic book geek like you'll appreciate this yeah my plans to go to the uh the jordan's imax and see it oh yeah you won't be sorry you got to check it out um i also for mother's day in honor of mother's day yesterday i ate uh you know if if you usually eat like 2,000 calories in a day or 2,500 calories I would conservatively estimate like eight to ten thousand calories for me yesterday and like to the point where i was just completely sick like you know like it caught up to me around eight o'clock 
And <laughs> you, what were you eating all day? It was a Mother's Day brunch that that I took my family to that was fantastic. And I mean, like I loaded oh, up. Oh, you can eat type of thing? Like oh, yeah. Bed? And I mean, I loaded up and it was great. I loaded up on like prime rib and like, uh, you know, lobster macaroni and cheese. And, uh, you know, just, just a lot of wonderful one. And, you know, like, of course, like, you know, 40 pieces of bacon and stuff like that. Of course. And, uh, you know, I mean, you're a man, you understand. And, uh, then, then after that, like we grilled burgers, you know, and, but not that long after that. And so, and so that was, and you know, and I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. And, uh, and so anyway, and and, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then I settled in for Westworld last night, which was just phenomenal. So I'm so, I'm so behind on Westworld. I'm embarrassed. You are that, that is a sad state of affairs because it's been amazing. Anyway, uh, we digress. Let's talk fantasy football. Uh, This is going to be part four of four. Uh, This is going to be, you know, we start out with the rookie running backs, like, you know, very like rookie running back centric episode, uh, you know, fallout from the draft. Then we welcome Mike the Hitman Wright. Then we welcome Scott Barrett, uh, you know, the incomparable Scott Barrett. I just used the word incomparable twice in my opening, but, you know, I still stand by it. And now today uh, we're going to actually talk about veteran fallout following the draft. I'm very, very excited about this. This is going to wrap it up. And with any luck, uh, we're going to drop all four of these things tomorrow or the next day. So uh, if you have been, you know, looking for your Rotor Street Journal fix uh, as in podcast form, it's been a while. We admit it. We've been cutting up videos, but it's been a while. But we're going to give you uh, what you've been waiting for and more. We're going to finish up this veteran-centered uh, podcast right after this. We are back. And we got the fantasy stock watch coming at you to start things off. We got to debrief some of the breaking news, who's rising, who's falling, and of course, why. You don't want to just know somebody's rising or falling. You want to know the nuts and bolts behind it. Uh, mm-hmm. CJ Anderson to the Panthers. Let's just get right down to business, right down to brass tacks. I got a good buddy who is a serious diehard Panthers fan, and uh, he is thrilled about this move. Yep. And I don't think there's a reason to not be excited as a Panthers fan. This is kind of an upgraded version of Jonathan Stewart. Uh, So we look at Anderson himself, which actually I'm going to dive right into the the real heart of this is Christian McCaffrey's value takes a pretty significant hit. I know in episode two of this four pack series, we talked with Mike Wright, who was all about uh, Christian McCaffrey. This is before CJ Anderson had landed there. Um, And obviously this does dent his value quite a bit when he goes from looking at maybe 300 total touches to now back to his you know 80 or so receptions but but now maybe 170 carries it's still a solid workload coming from McCaffrey but Anderson's going to play that Jay Stu role now it's a different offensive coordinator it's Norv Turner so you look at his history he has historically loved workhorses but he has also not been unafraid to do committees either so it's kind of a mixed bag in his you know extensive 25 years and I, I expect that C.J. Anderson is going to slide right into that big back role, which was like what Mike Tolbert played in, and you know the uh, with the Chargers, where they had Darren Sproles in that pass catching role. That's going to be McCaffrey. Just I think McCaffrey would be a little bit more of a souped up version of that. But when you look at what Jay Stu did last year, he ranked 16th in the league in red zone rushing attempts. So I mean that's not bad. The 16th ranked running back in red zone attempts, and then that jumps up to even more. The seventh most attempts from inside the five yard line with 12 of those attempts. Mm. But he only scored three touchdowns on him. McCaffrey, meanwhile, had only two attempts from inside the five, and he scored on both of those. So you look at that red zone efficiency. McCaffrey can get it done there. That's often a narrative. He's too small. He got it done at a much higher rate than Jay Stu did last year. I think C.J. Anderson will get it done at a much higher rate than Jay Stu did last year and should probably inherit a lot of that volume. Turner, we looked at. You know, Mike Matt Asiata had 10 touchdowns. Tolbert had 10 and 11 in back-to-back years. And just over half of his seasons, he's had a running back that scores double-digit touchdowns. I don't know if Anderson will hit that, but I don't think he's going to be far off from six to eight. And he's going in those middle rounds right now. I think he's just like kind of that – I think this is actually a good glossary term which came to my head. Kind of unsexy upside. Like there's actual upside to C.J. Anderson here that nobody's going to recognize because it just doesn't look sexy on paper. McCaffrey has all the sizzle and he's going to be good, but he definitely fell to about RB 40, you know, I mean 40-ish overall, whereas he was about 25th overall without C.J. Anderson there. 
Anderson falls right around that 60 to 70 range uh, as a quality flex option, I'd say. You're not talking about running backs, are you? You're, you, you, mean, you mean overall. Overall, of course. Okay, I thought yeah, you yeah, said yeah, 40th amongst running backs for McCaffrey, and I was like, what league? Oh, God, no, no. He's. I mean, I can pull up the exact big board. I think he's right around my RB 21, 22. But whereas he was right with, like, Jay Jai and Kenyon Drake and these guys that I consider uh, breakout RB1 candidates, he's now, you know, I had McCaffrey well ahead of those guys. Now he's kind of back into that tier of could be a breakout RB1, not necessarily so much of a locked-in one. Okay. Um, I would say I would push a little bit back on the whole oh, McCaffrey had two attempts from the five, and he scored on both of them, obviously, and get it done. I mean, there, there's probably a certain amount of misdirection attached to that. I mean, if like, he, I mean, you know, like, after a while, you figure they're not going to run it with him. You know, they mm-hmm. never they never do. And then when they do, I mean, he certainly has definitely has good one on one moves in the open field and stuff. So I don't know. That might be a little bit of a uh, anomaly that the guy managed to punch in two out of two from the five. We'll the, see. The one thing I'll come back against that though is uh, Danny Thomas, who played under North Turner for so many years, came out and said. He, he's going to know exactly how to use Christian McCaffrey, especially yeah, in like the outside zone running, like getting him out on sweeps and tosses. Not that you run a ton of that near the one. So I can't see that being like, oh, they're just going to run a bunch of tosses at the one because there's such a risk with that. Uh, but ultimately, I do think he'll still get some volume in that area. Um, and he'll be used very properly by North Turner in that sense. Um, I just checked it too. McCaffrey fell to my RB18 um, and 35th overall. Uh, on the yeah, big board. sounds about right. Seems about right. Right behind Rashad Penny, Kenyon Drake, J.H.I., Rashad Penny, who we've obviously talked at length with about Mike Wright and Scott Barrett, two of the best wolves in the industry. Love him, as do I. So, I mean, maybe RB17 is too Maybe three him. of the best wolves in the industry. Right, yeah. The three, three best wolves in the industry right there, baby. Um, so, McCaffrey just slides in right below those guys, whereas before he was kind of in that shady Jordan Howard, Devonta Freeman tier for me. The less... the the Drop in volume does send him down, but doesn't crush his value by any means. All right, let's move on. Uh, Mark Ingram, four-game suspension. This is a guy that, I mean, I remember the big board that you put out, like, right after the Super Bowl because you're a psycho. Uh, I mean, I, I remember, like, I feel like he was he was maybe a top 10 overall guy, maybe higher, maybe, like, top 7, top 8, something really, really high. He and Kamara were both really high on your board. I don't remember exactly where. We had a specific mm-hmm. conversation about it. You justified it. Uh, you know, you actually made a fairly good case. Four-game suspension, uh, however, for mm-hmm. uh, PEDs, I think, as steroids, basically, yep. right? Um, I always thought he was a, kind of a big bruising guy. Um, and, <laughs> no, uh, no you why. know, attached to this is the report that Alvin Kamara, everybody's darling, especially yours, not expected to get the workhorse treatment. So thoughts mm-hmm. on that and, you know, elaborate on the story if you want. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people fell into the trap that Kamara is now going to get, you know, five to ten more touches a week and he's going to secure this role that is irreversible and he's going to be untouchable. So even when Ingram comes back, it's going to be the Kamara show. And Sean Payton's already come out and thrown tons of cold water on that. His exact quote was, the mistake would be that Alvin gets 15 more carries and that's not the direction we would expect to go. I don't think that is wise, was his exact words. I I agree, by the way, for whatever it's worth. I do, too. And his running back coach said it would be a disservice to him. Let's be honest. He excelled with the ratio he had, whether it's the carries or the combination of the catches as well. Let's get him those amount of touches. Kind of like Jamal Charles. He's efficiency back. If you feed him too much, he'll break down. He needs to be right in that range of, you know, 15 to 18 touches a week. He's going to crush it. And so it sounds like they're going to keep him in that role. I'm going to probably bump him down a little bit. I had him jump ahead of David Johnson for a short period. I was kind of falling, uh, me being prone to the hype. Never mind that ever, right? Uh, but I fell a little prone to the hype. But I'm glad the cold water was thrown at it. David Johnson just has much more of a workhorse type of feel to him. So I'm going to go with the volume there. Um, but Kamara, still going to be in that same role, still going to be highly valuable. What happens here, though, is – and nobody's kind of taken this angle yet is remember last year, how high we were on doing Doug Martin and, uh, and Jaquiz Rogers as like the awful move, awful, disgusting. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. I, I drafted him. I had them both. Drafted them both. Right. <laughs> and, I, and by the way, I won that league despite them, despite that. We, we, <laughs> we had plenty of good picks in there too, but right. that was a, a disgusting strategy. 
But I'm going to go back to the well here because I think Mark Ingram is a lot more proven than Doug Martin. He's been doing it yeah, in this system so well for the last three years. A clear RB1. I actually saw something that like 80% of his fantasy stats didn't come till after the first four weeks of last year anyways when they got rid of AP. So you think about how beastly Ingram was and how valuable he was to owners. That didn't even happen until the last 12 weeks. So I think Ingram – Still has huge value, especially because I'm hearing guys. I mean, I listen to the fantasy footballers, our guys after having him on. They were saying they wouldn't touch him until like round eight or nine. I'm, this is Ingram. This is Mark Ingram, who again is a bona fide. You touch R- Mark Ingram till round eight or nine. What, it wasn't our guy Mike Wright. It was one of the guys that he was going against. Um, was saying I that they would like let Mike him- Wright must have won this argument. I, it was it blasphemy to me. I mean, even if he falls to, let's say, round four or five, which is typically what he's he's going at nowadays, I think it's a huge investing opportunity. I think, yes. I, I think I got Martin in the sixth round maybe last year. Yeah, exactly. So a little bit price is probably, yeah, I bet you'd be right around round five. And again, you're, there's going to be some talent there, especially some of these interesting rookies, like let's say Sony Michelle or guys like that who we've been raving about. You know, it's going to be tricky to pass those guys up for a full season, but you know what you're going to get for those 12 games of Ingram, assuming he doesn't come out of like a doghouse and is just locked in there. But if he does, it means that one of their penny stock guys has emerged and really started to thrive in that big back role. Now, who's that going to be? That's the other question that we really need answering. And we talked to CJ. He's going to get Underhill on, I think, very oh, yeah? soon. To, yeah, that, that's the goal is to get our boy Nick Underhill back on um, to kind of try, try to sort through who is that big back going to be. They said they're not going to give it to Kamara. So who's going to emerge there? Uh, one of your favorite boys is actually a lead candidate, Jonathan Williams. Remember him? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> the, uh, the infamous tub club from the Bills. Yeah, uh, of course I remember yeah. Jonathan Williams. So he's apparently got signed and, and looks like he's in good shape. But wasn't, um, it, wasn't it Carlos Williams that was, oh, that was you the know tub what? guy from I the maybe Bills? I, mean, I do remember Jonathan the- Williams, but like I think the tub club is was Carlos Williams. It, was you you know I got those two mixed up. Uh, Jonathan Williams was last year's rookie who looked really good all camp, and then they just randomly cut him, and nobody like right. he got picked up by the Broncos right. and then exactly. the Saints. But he he looked great in his limited preseason action. Um, I remember he was one of our penny stocks till he got cut, and so now he's going to reemerge on that penny stock radar. He actually played under their call their their head um, sorry their running back coach. He played under him in college. He was their their head coach in college over at Arkansas, and he already said he has a knack for what we call we, our slash game in terms of puncturing and finding a hole. He catches the ball decent out of the backfield. He's a bigger body. He can sustain some contact that's involved with playing the position. He's got some intelligence as well. He'll be able to grasp this offense fine, and he has. So they're already raving about this guy. Um, he's got history with the running backs coach. Even Sean Payton said we went ahead and got him on our active roster because we thought he had real good vision and balance. So there's been some praise thrown at Jonathan Williams, who I think could really emerge as the penny stock. Nick Underhill tweeted out that he thinks it might be Boston Scott, a six-round rookie who just was an absolute freak athlete. So maybe he's the guy that just like his physical freakishness translates, and then he's the guy. Uh, I'm not sure – exactly who it is it just becomes one of those situations that's a must monitor because they're going to go in the double digit rounds and it's going to be an absolute steal for those first four weeks especially if it can bridge you to a mark ingram who you took in round five and now you've got probably again that strategy of rb1 upside we talked about last year with jaquiz and doug martin i think this is a much better situation um i'm actually interested to hear your take too do you think that the saints might go a bit more pass heavy now with ingram sideline for at least those first four weeks? Yeah, I think that they will probably attempt not to do that, like initially, <laughs> but I think it will become evident that that's their best option moving forward. Uh, and and I don't even mean that as like a, a shot at them. Like, I think they'll still get plenty of running yards. I think they'll still get plenty of passing. But I mean, it's like, you know, they have this amazing uh, running back that can receive out of the backfield and break big plays. And I mean, they have, they have Drew Brees and... I, right. I, I, I and Jimmy Graham. We'll see if he has anything left in the tank. Yeah, I think they'll become Not more pass heavy. Huh? Jimmy Graham? He went to the Packers. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Why did I think? Why did you think that Jonathan Williams was in the Tub Club, and why did I think that Jimmy Graham was back on the Saints? Oh, we're a little rusty. Possibly here because we're both morons. Anyway, both uh, morons. it doesn't change what I'm saying. Drew Brees. I mean, Drew. Until last year, the guy was like you could pencil him in for five thousand yards. So yeah, of course, of course, I think they're going to go a little more pass heavy. 
to, to even support that more, 32 touchdowns in 10 straight seasons up to last year. I'm going to bet on that return to the mean and get back over 30 touchdowns for Breeze, especially in light of this news. He actually shot up. Yeah. I, I was too low on Breeze. I think you called me on it a couple times on my big board. I had it down at like QB 11, something disgusting. He's back up to QB 5. There's only that set makes a lot more sense. That's me. where he belongs, kind of up with Brady and maybe even over Wentz, depending on how that recovery is going, is where he belongs. It actually bumps Michael Thomas up my big board. Just a couple well, spots. You, you know that I'm hugely high on Michael Thomas. Yeah, like, I know. We have we have an ODB Michael Beckham. Thomas disagreement, I believe. I I know. And I still think I'd rather have Odell Beckham, but Michael Thomas, I think, is just more volume coming his way. And I think one of the steals in the draft, I'm working on a bargain piece for fantasy pros on this guy right now. Going and pick 160 by the experts, Cameron Meredith. An absolute beast who came over from the the Bears who mismanaged his contract completely. 6-3, had explosion contests, had I think over 19 points like six different times in 13 games with Matt Barkley throwing him the ball. So now you give him Drew Brees and Sean Payton scheming up. Big red zone weapon. Another reason why I'm so high on Brees rebounding for touchdowns is I think Cam Meredith is going to call in 8 to 10 and he's going in rounds 12 13 right now so i think that undertaking more of a passing centric offense because of this suspension could really help you know Meredith's status even more um so so i'm very intrigued by all this i think it, again just to sum it all up real quick i think ingram becomes an interesting uh interesting investing opportunity, especially if we can figure out who that penny stock big back is for the first four weeks. I think the offense becomes more pass centered, just like you said. Breeze returns to that 30-plus touchdown range that he's always been in, and I think Cameron Meredith is going to be an absolute steal because of it. Last but not least, when we're breaking down the news, uh, Andrew Luck still not throwing. What the fuck? There's, there's not much to break down here. It's they been- don't need him to really throw, though. <laughs> I saw Just something. I, I believe the and – and this is correct – the president was Obama the last time Andrew Luck picked up a football and threw it. How insane is that? It's been 469 days. What kind of odds do you think you could get in Vegas of this guy never playing football again? Oh, man. Who – didn't somebody come on as like a joke and say something about Andrew Luck like tearing – it was the meat sweats. Remember he said something about Andrew Luck tearing his shoulder and well, like never playing again yes, before I re- it happened? I remember something like that. But I also remember when he was supposedly coming back like in week – Four or something last year. I went on record as saying, I don't think he'll be back this year. And I mean, I ended up being right. I'm, I'm wrong every bit as much as I'm right. But I remember calling that one far out. And I'm not convinced the guy's going to come back. I, I don't get what's happening there. It definitely makes me a lot. Uh, you know, I had Andrew Luck back in my top 10 QBs. I think at number 10. I told exactly. You, you were crazy for that. Um, it, but I assumed he was coming back. I love Frank Wright. I love the offensive mind they hired there. I think he has good weapons around him. But at this point, it's such a risk to even consider touching Andrew Luck. And he's still you can't going to draft him as a fantasy starter. Like, uh, it's awful. No. And it would be terrible for guys like T.Y. Hilton and, you know, some of our a guy I'm going to talk about in the next segment, uh, Naeem Hines. Uh, I absolutely love if Luck comes back. That's a lesson learned from the Wolf's Den. Um, we're going to debrief that Wolf's Den in a second. And Naeem Hines is going to be a big part of that. But, man, all this sleeper shine on some of these running backs means nothing. Jack Doyle, Eric Ebron had some interesting appeal. Nope. T.Y. Hilton, I thought, could rebound under Frank Reich. Nope. None of that will matter if Andrew Luck is not throwing the ball, and I don't know what is going on there. It's terrifying. Yeah, we're on the same page. Uh, All right, that's it. We're going to come back, and we're going to debrief the Wolf's Den featuring (laughs) Naheem Hines. That's one part of it, for sure. Back to debrief the wolf's den. We need to catch your name for this segment. Any mm-hmm. any any segment with the word debrief in it is right. You know that's that not like, oh, Un- unpacking, unfurling. Uh, unpacking's kind of douchey. It is douchey as shit. Yeah, yeah like the right. people like when we used to work at the uh, school together that that uh you know used all that jargon. They'd be like, oh, I don't know, let's unpack this, and they would use it just in regular conversation with you, and you'd just be like, shut the hell up, like talk like a regular person. Like, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna do that. You mean you want to talk about it? Okay, let's talk about it. Right. I'd say hi to a student in the hall, and then two seconds later, the fucking science teacher would be up my ass. Hey, I need to debrief that interaction you just had in the yeah, hallway. Yeah. What? Sure. Let's what? let's let's unpack what just happened there. And let's it's like, unfurl it. Yeah. I have a better idea how about anyway 
<laughs> Love it. The good old, the, the yeah, good old, good old days. And and we and we talked yeah. shit, but there was a time that we actually uh, were both big parts of a pretty awesome school. Um, yeah, long time ago. Anyway, it, it uh, used to be awesome. Yeah, no, it's not yeah. now, but it was when we were there. Anyway, <laughs> Naheem Hines from the Colts, their general backfield. We're going to talk about it. And they need a little more consideration. Uh, a little more than higher regarded carry on Johnson. This is one of the takeaways that the wolf had after talking to all these, uh, you know, amazing wolves that we had on uh, explain that, that piece I just read there. Yeah. So in both times we asked uh, Mike Wright and Scott Barrett again, who I respect more than any others in the industry. So it's thrilled to have those two on. If you somehow missed those two episodes, you got to make sure you listen to them. Um, but, when we asked both of them, who's going to be 2018's breakout rookie who could be this year's Alvin Kamara, they both were quick to say no one's going to be Kamara. But if anyone's going to emerge as that upside rookie for cheap, it's going to be a Colts running back. And they really liked Hines. Um, they, and even since they came on, uh, this news is broken since those guys recorded. They didn't even have this ammunition to back it up. Their head coach, Frank Rex, come out and said he's very talented as a pass catcher. We're going to be moving him around into the slot, out of the backfield. He's going to be kind of our chess piece is what he called him. So that was even before these guys came on and were raving about him. They just said that they envisioned that role happening. The coaches come out and said that's what they're going to do. So PPR leaguers, you got to take notice. We just talked about how Andrew Luck is not throwing, and that would obviously make this a lot less relevant because I don't, I don't think Hines could break out with just, I mean, Brissett, I don't know, maybe he could. But ultimately, you know, it, the shine would be a lot less. But Andrew Luck has peppered pass-catching running backs in his past. We saw Ahmad Bradshaw have running back seven per points per game not only two, three seasons ago. And that was like a corpse of Ahmad Bradshaw. So, I mean, Himes definitely has some upside here. Uh, Frank Reich will know how to use him. Danny Woodhead had 88 and 95 reception seasons under Frank Reich. Darren Sproles lit it up before he got hurt in Philadelphia. So Reich knows how to use these mismatched guys. I also said the general backfield just because they both brought up this guy Wilkins who is very akin and who Chris Ballard used to be with the Bears compared to Matt Forte who he used to draft. He said the versatility, the vision, the smoothness and the way he runs is, is what Wilkins, Jonathan Wilkins reminded him of. So you often see these guys go after players who they had success with in the past, those same type of molds. It seems like Chris Ballard's doing that here with Jonathan Wilkins. So both those running backs from the Colts definitely need more consideration. That was my number one takeaway from the Wolf's Den. Another one, and more Scott Barrett really put me on this, is some of these situations are a little bit cloudier than you'd expect. You know, Ronald Jones, their coach, came out and said Peyton Barber's still going to be involved. This is going to be a committee to start. Royce Freeman was being talked about as a thumper, which our guy Mike Wright loved. He's like, thumper, touchdowns. Boom, and I agree. Like, I love touchdowns. Uh, but ultimately, Devontae Booker is still getting talked up. They're saying that Royce Freeman's going to have to earn it. So it's er easy to get so excited about these talent injections, these you know youthful injections into the lineup, and especially when it seemed like the, the depth chart was wide open. But a lot of them aren't getting just thrust right into that starter role. Obviously, Rashad Penny's on the way opposite end of the spectrum. They're saying three down back, coming in, he's going to be our guy. But all the rest of them really aren't getting talked up. And so that last takeaway, what that's kind of led me to do is actually bump Sony Michelle up. I had him below Ronald Jones. At first, I thought Ronald Jones was the clear guy and he was just going to be the immediate starter. I thought even Royce Freeman was right there alongside Sony Michelle. But with those guys in cloudier situations than I originally was anticipating, I think Sony Michelle has to get the bump up. He's in the way better offense, the, the chance to succeed. The Patriots running backs have accounted for the second most fantasy points as a collective unit for back-to-back -back seasons. And I think Sony Michelle will be the heaviest part of that pie. So we talk about aerial pies. We got to talk about some running well, let's back. Let's talk pies about now. some ground pie. Some ground pie, exactly. The ground, it's like ground, the ground beef. pie. Yeah, <laughs> I like that term, ground pie. Uh, but the Patriots serve up one of the biggest ground pies in the league. It makes sense when you got Tom Brady leading the charge. There's going to be lots of touchdowns to be had, and I really am starting to get more and more excited. Why would they take him that high if they weren't planning to feed him 15 or so touches? Why would they, if you know, the fumbling concerns are real? But they had to know that going into it. Some people have gotten some good rebuttals at me about why I had him too low. And, and I'm, you know, I don't usually just bend and, and break on those. But Sony Michelle, after hearing the cloudiness about the other rookies, hearing some of these points get made, and just you know, I'm a Pat's homer, so I want to root for him. Uh, he's going up the rankings quite a bit. 
in our earlier our first episode episode uh was it 14 was the first one of this uh 13 have, 14 depending on yeah. where you start from <laughs> yep i had him as uh my fifth ranked rookie running back when we went down those rookie rankings so if you were listening to that one i'm changing my stance I'm putting him up to maybe even three. Darius Geis, I still like more than some of those other uh, Wolves were saying. So I think he's going to go up into that tier with Rashad Penny, Darius Geis. Um, or you know what? I'm going to actually release it right now real quick. Saquon Barkley, tier himself. Rashad Penny, tier by himself. Then it's going to be Darius Geis, number three. Sony Michelle, number four. Those two are going to tier by themselves. Ronald Jones, Rose Freeman, tier by themselves. And then it's just kind of cloudiness. Hines slotting in above on Johnson now because of the cloudiness around him. Maybe even Nick Chubb goes a little bit, you know, that becomes the cloudy tier after those. So I got those clear top five, and then it's just a cloudy tier in my sense. All right, folks, you heard it here first, probably. Uh, we're going to come right back with a stock profile on the Wolf's boy, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley. 2018 Fantasy Stock Profile Talent, 29 out of 30 The generational label is thrown out far too often, but with Barkley, it's fully warranted. He's not unfairly called a bigger Barry Sanders by many experts due to his rare combination of elite elusiveness and breakaway speed on a powerful, sturdy, and shredded 230-pound frame that can push the pile and get the tough yards up the gut. Backs don't get much more complete than Barkley, whose versatility is legitimately on par with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson thanks to butter-smooth route running and silky soft hands. He's incredibly dangerous with the ball in space, weaving through defenses with incredible open field vision. According to Giants GM David Gettleman, Barkley was his highest graded prospect ever outside of Peyton Manning. Some light praise from the GM includes touchdown maker, unanimous best player in the draft, haven't seen a guy like this in a long time, 30 plus years, and of course, the ever important, he was touched by the hand of God, frankly. Usage, 25 for 25. Simply put, Pat Shermer is a bell cow breeder. Truly, no one can squeeze more juice from a versatile back. From Steven Jackson to LaShawn McCoy to what Dalvin Cook was becoming and even ugh, Trent Richardson, Shermer has ridden a three-down workhorse whenever able. According to PFF Scott Barrett, Shermer's RB1s have averaged 308.7 carries per season, 83.9% of the team's share, and 613 targets. Insane overall volume, especially in a committee-plagued era. And the bell cow enthusiast might have his most versatile threat yet. Barkley should push for bell and Gurley's cheat code type of volume. No negatives here. Surrounding talent, 13 out of 15. The surrounding offensive situation may just be perfect. Behind an aging Eli Manning, the Giants are ready to hand the offensive reins over to a 25-plus weekly carry bell cow. Yet Eli Manning still has enough juice to keep this offense and the explosive surrounding talent churning. The Giants have an insane stable of receiving weapons, obviously highlighted by Odell Beckham Jr., and rounded out by blossoming freaks Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard. This unit should move the ball with ease, creating consistently long and sustained drives in addition to plenty of scoring opportunities. Boxes can't be stuffed, and Barkley should find oodles of space underneath to flourish in the receiving game. If there is a negative, it's the Giants' offensive line, which ranked 26th of 32 NFL teams last season by Pro Football Focus. Still, Nate Solder has been a mauling run blocker in his career, while rookie guard Will Hernandez is a mammoth psycho who can move and have a vicious mean streak. They've been upgraded. Coaching scheme, 10 out of 10. After coaching for a decade under Andy Reid, including seven seasons as his QB's coach, Shermer is an apple that doesn't fall far from his West Coast tree. Thus, he's rooted in a system that features high-percentage, quick-strike routes and concepts, yet Shermer also absorbed plenty of run-game creativity from Chip Kelly while serving as his offensive coordinator in Philadelphia. In general, Shermer's offense unfurls from the backfield outwards with a far more run-heavy approach than the coaches who have groomed him. Great news for Barkley. To illustrate, the Vikings ranked second in the NFL in rushing attempts in 2017, and their 53-47 pass-to-run ratio was the fourth lowest in the league. If there's a negative, Outside of Chip Kelly's shadow, Shermer has never independently cracked the top 10 in team points or yardage as a play caller. Granted, he's been dealt some awful offensive hands in previous stints in St. Louis and Cleveland, and Shermer also has multiple top 10 rushing TD seasons in five of his last 10 attacks. Risk, 8 out of 10. 
Note, the higher the score, the safer the pick. Really, the minimal risk with Barkley is the unknown, as we haven't seen him on an NFL field yet. Many dominant collegiate players have struggled adjusting to the faster pace and harder hits of the professional level, and there is a chance this happens to Barkley. Still, he feels near guaranteed to translate. At minimum, Barkley's receiving skills are elite, which will prevent him from being game flow dependent. The Penn State product will be in on all downs and distances. With such heavy volume coming his way in this versatile role, Barkley should be consistently racking up double-digit fantasy points, with some true explosions mixed in. Besides the unknown, the only other risk comes with his blessing. A high-volume running back absorbs countless hits. This does increase the chance of getting hurt, but Barkley is built well for the punishment. Even a rookie that'll get a hit a ton, the risk feels minimal. Upside, 10 out of 10. Barkley's insane combination of talent and usage within what projects to be a high-scoring offense gives him a very real shot at becoming the next Le'Veon Bell and Todd Gurley. This means weak-winning, 30-plus point upside alongside a sturdy 12-15 to 15 weekly point floor. There's simply no higher upside fantasy product than a talented, three-down workhorse in a strong offense. Bottom line, Saquon Barkley landed in the ideal spot for fantasy football value with the New York Giants. His talent is generational. Pat Shermer is a bell cow breeder. This offense drips in explosive potential thanks to high-end receiving weaponry, yet is ready to transition to a run-first attack under an aging Eli Manning. All in all, the fantasy stars have aligned for a top-five overall season for Saquon Barkley. All right, we're back with our featured segment of the week, the weekly market report preview veteran risers and fallers and, of course, a little sprinkling of early bargains. Uh, We're going to get right into this because we're on a bit of a time crunch. The veteran winners, we're going to start with running backs. Wolf, you got six guys that you got slated pretty much as winners amongst the veterans, amongst running backs. Um, you got our, our you know consummate guy that has burned you multiple times a year, Jay Ajayi, <laughs> Kenyon Drake, Alex Collins, Lamar Miller, Marshawn Lynch, maybe even the corpse of Marshawn Lynch, Aaron <laughs> Jones. Uh, you know, talk to me real quick about these guys. Yeah, so we've already debriefed um, JGI plenty. I brought him up in both interviews earlier, so I won't rave about him. Just as a reminder, he now has the lockdown of the early down role and short yardage role in what scored the most points in the league last year in an offense that scored all that behind the best line in the league. I think too many people are going to be distracted by how bad he sucked and burned you, and they're going to cost themselves on a potential huge RB1 rebound. So love JGI. In terms of Lamar Miller – we're still debating what we want to call this type of guy. I like fantasy fast food is the name in terms of just, he's still going to be seeing the sheer volume. I can't justify it. So just like fast food, you kind of eat so much of it and you never really feel totally satisfied, but like you're full enough that you're like, okay, that got me through the night. Uh, You might feel a little sick at the end of it. Well, that's what Lamar Miller kind of looks like to me is he's going to continue to be fed. He's been fed year in and year out since joining the Texans, despite only breaking a tackle on 8% of his carries, probably the most least efficient you know, missed tackle rate in the entire league. Uh, but he's still being fed complete voluminous workloads. And then when you get Deshaun Watson returning, when Deshaun Watson was in the lineup, that offense – you know, one average 34.8 points per game. Uh, so that's obviously ridiculous. And Lamar Miller was brought along with that rising ship to be the eighth most scoring running back over that six week span when Deshaun Watson was starting. Uh, so even if I don't love the talent, even if I don't think he's going to do the most he could with such heavy volume, he's going to get the volume. He's going to be in the offense that's going to help him feed. Uh, there was no competition added, and Dante Foreman's reportedly expected to start on the PUP as of now. So if, if that changes, that's the one wrench that could happen is Dante Foreman gets ahead of schedule, and now he's potentially pushing for a starting role. Because I do think by mid-year, Dante Foreman could take this role over. Uh, but for now, you got fantasy fast food. You're going to get volume from Lamar Miller. He's got no other competition in a, in a very juicy fantasy spot. Consider him a huge winner. Kenyon Drake, I know you're he's a you're on a, the Kenyon Drake fan club, right? Yeah, I mean I've backed off just a tiny bit because mm-hmm. I mean you know I've, I'm 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 not susceptible to the hype train. I'm not I'm not 
I'm not unsusceptible to the hype train, even though I like to give you a hard time about it. I mean, you know, sometimes if I get an idea in my head, whether somebody presented it to me or not, uh, and then I, and you know, Kenyon Drake looked really good uh, in the mm-hmm. fantasy playoffs last year. Um, it was called by our guy, I, I think Derek Brown called it, right? Derek Brown and, did, he uh, came on. Um, yeah. and, the, and I remember just, we kept every week being like, hey, boy, Derek Brown somehow saw yeah. what we did, we were missing. This guy looks flat and out so special. I do like him. I do like him a lot. I mean, I forget where I had him at the at the peak of my hype train but uh i have him a little lower than that now but yeah i still like him a lot and i think for good reason and the the stats back up what we just saw on the film we're just like this guy's looking special week in and week out uh scott barrett our boy had an article metrics that matter one of the best series you can find out there so if you haven't seen it please check it out uh but it's about how much Kenyon Drake – we talked about how unefficient Lamar Miller is at breaking tackles and forcing um, yards after contact. Kenyon Drake recorded the the most yards after contact per attempt, uh, 4.29 yards after contact ever recorded by Pro Football Focus. So the most efficient tackle breaker and, and churning out yardage after contact that Pro Football Focus has ever seen. He had their highest graded game last year against your true your own Broncos. Um, he, he received a near perfect score for his efforts in the running and receiving game. So the guy can get it done all over the field. He's never been a true featured back. That's kind of the knock on him is even in college, he was playing behind Derrick Henry and some ridiculous talents. So he's never been a featured back. But Adam Gase has come out and said he's young and he's, he doesn't have much mileage on him. So maybe he could be that guy after he then said, but we don't want a guy getting 20 plus carries every week. And yet he says that and then he comes out and says, but I want a guy that can be a three down horse and we never have to take out because that keeps the defense on their toes. And that's what he historically has done. No, Sean Moreno was the RB4 in 2013, 1,586 yards from scrimmage and 13 touchdowns. CJ Anderson, remember that ridiculous run he had to close out when he was a rookie? 1,200 yards and 10 total TDs in seven starts. Ridiculous. Matt Forte, 1,300 yards, seven TDs and just... 13 games from scrimmage in 2015. And then we saw the J train the year before he fell off the map had 14, 23 and eight TDs and only 12 starts. So, I mean, the guy has ridden workhorses no matter what he says. I know that they added Frank Gore and they drafted Kalen Balage in the fourth round. But ultimately, all the talent and number says Kenyon Drake is the best they have. The coach has come out and said he loves Drake. So I imagine this is going to be a monstrous volume for a very talented back. And he's going to do a lot of damage with it. All right, that's fair. Um, you want to explain to me why you think Beast Mode is, is a winner? Beast Mode. I absolutely want to uh, tell you why he's a winner. The only competition he added was, I can't even call him the muscle hamster anymore. What do we call him? Like the fat hamster? <laughs> Useless guinea pig? I don't even know what to call this fucking loser. But he Frail rabbit. Yeah, right? Just a <laughs> joke. Just a complete joke. Um, but Marshawn Lynch, why would I be high on him? Because he didn't do a ton last year, right? Well, actually, he had a solid season um, when you look at the actual numbers. So following the week, the, the week eight bye, he came in out of shape. He admitted, like, I've been a year away from football and I haven't been working out that hard. So he came in out of shape. He obviously started the season in a disgusting format. Uh, but he also was thrown into a zone blocking scheme for the first half of the season, which makes no sense. I mean, Marshawn Lynch is the picture of power running. Why would you put him into a zone blocking scheme, especially when you have the eighth highest ranked line uh, in terms of just mauling run blockers who then were were graded very poorly in the first half of the year because they were miscast in the zone blocking system. That's what has me really pumped up is mostly the blocking scheme is uh, they're, they've already come out and said, John Gruden has, we're going to be a power running team. It's what our blockers do best. It's what Marshawn Lynch does best. So they're going back to what he does best. And what he did last year in those final eight games when they finally went back to to the power running, when he finally was in shape, averaged 4.6 yards per carry, had 625 yards and five touchdowns in over a half of – in just a half of a season. So that's a 1,250-yard, 10-TD pace. That's over 70% of his rushing yards and touchdowns in just half the season. He really started to light it up. And you look at some of the stats, he forced the uh, fifth-most tackles – on the ground, tied for fourth in yards per contact, after, you know, yards after contact per attempt, according to Pro Football Focus. So the guy was still running like beast mode. He just was in a shitty situation for that first half of the year and really took to the second half. Now you might say, is he going to come in out of shape this year? Because wh- why would he just suddenly be motivated? 
fair. But I guess Gruden came out and said he called him and said, I, I need Marshawn Lynch. I don't need this part-time Lynch. I need full-time Lynch. I want beast mode. And he started raving about how he watched him on Christmas night and how it was the same old beast mode he's always known and loved. And uh, Marshawn Lynch's boy, a famous rapper came, I forget the guy's name, Mr. FAB or something like that, came on a radio station. And again, this is, I'm just looking for hype everywhere. But he, he said he loves Gruden. He said earlier that Lynch loves Gruden. Uh, Gruden loves Lynch. He called him and said, we're going to get you more involved in this offense and you need to be in the right shape for it. So that's what Gruden said to Sports Illustrated, kind of jives with that. And this guy said, I've never seen Marshawn in such good shape. He's in the best condition I've seen him in a long time. Uh, he came in and just like, I was like, damn, are you on steroids? He looked so good. So, of course, I know that the best Wait, shape. I, wanted to, I want to get that, you know, for my, so I can go back and write. That's, that's Mr. F.A.B.? Mr. FAB. So the Mr. FAB says that Marshawn Lynch is in good shape. Wow. <laughs> Can you believe it? Wow. But, but I mean, ultimately, if he shows up in shape, which it sounds like he's gonna, well, if they're if transitioning you back Mr. to a- FAB, I mean, it sounds like he's jacked out of his fucking <laughs> Does it get any more credible than that? No, literally, this right here. And I, you know, we use a lot of superlatives. We, we say <laughs> the most, the worst, the best. This right here is the least credible thing that you have ever referenced on this, <laughs> on this show. This this piece of information. Fair. You just hey. referenced someone who's maybe a rapper and a friend of Marshawn Lynch, who's like, I mean, this this is, we got to do what we got to do to get the scoops. Okay, so like, I'm not faulting when you. When he shows it. up a beast, you're going to regret. It. When he shows up in shape, can we get this guy on back? the podcast? What's yeah? We should get Mr. F A B. I want. I want to hear it from the horse's mouth. I'm gonna. You know what? That's actually a great idea. I, I know it is. We'll try. I'm going to try my best to get Mr. F A B and have him talk about Marshawn Lynch's shape, and you're gonna fall in love with him. I hope that's. Really, uh, I hope that's really his name, since we've now said it like 40 times. It's spelled M I S T A H, Mr. F dot A dot B. So I think it's Mr. So it's F-A-B. either Mr. F A B or Mr. Fab. <laughs> either one i'll take either one of those guys on the show okay that's fair um he's coming on talk to me um, about, talk to me about aaron jones oh well i just want to wrap up marshall lynch again if he's in perfect shape if they do transition to this power blocking scheme that fits the line and fits his talents um and they average 1.4 more yards before contact once they made that switch to illustrate that tom gable tom cable is the new offensive line coach who worked under uh who worked with lynch in seattle when he he was a beast. So, can I mean, I, can I talk to you a little bit of... about, can, can we talk a little bit about Tom Cable? Tom Cable? And, and you like Tom a, Cable? And what a coked up uh, lunatic that guy is. I mean, I'm terrified to play. <laughs> Tom Cable? Tom Cable, I don't know how old he is now, but he's like one of these guys that you absolutely know he is going to get physical with, you know, everybody from like, you know, the trainer to the cheerleader to like the assistant coaches to like, uh, you know, probably like 70% of the guys on the team. He could probably beat up. Yeah. I mean, he, he is a nut job and I'm glad to see him back in a position of prominence. I mean, this guy is doing like an eight ball a quarter during games. (laughs) Yeah. Marshawn eats his Skittles. Cable does his Coke. All of it will be a beautiful marriage. And you're asking me and and I'm criticizing you for your flimsy sources. You want to know my source on this? Don't yes. even have one. Just just throwing <laughs> you don't need out, just one. throwing it out there. You don't need one. He's, 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 like he's just so absurd. Out, uh, lunatic um, to me. But Aaron Jones, the next guy on the list, um, similar to and again, all these guys are winners, mostly because there's just no injection of youth that's going to threaten or take their jobs. And Aaron Jones doesn't necessarily have the Green Bay running back job um, on lock. Jamal Williams had it by the end of the season. He rode heavy volume to some serious fantasy outputs to close 2017. But the efficiency between the two is completely yeah, start, it's just like the contrast is startling how different these two running backs were last year. Aaron Jones had one of the highest yards per carry in the league, 5.5 yards per carry, led the NFL in terms of individual yards per carry and as compared to their team yards per carry differential. So that means like everyone else on this team averaged 3.6 for Jamal Williams, 3.8 for Ty Montgomery, 5.5 for Aaron Jones. And this was with their offensive line leading the NFL yards before contact on carries. Somehow Jamal Williams only averaged 3.6 yards, even though he wasn't getting hit until after two yards, which blows my mind. Aaron Jones was the only one that was taking advantage of this incredible run 
unblocking unit that's still fully intact right now going into 2018. Um, Jones's six runs of 20 plus more yards were more than Le'Veon Bell, Leonard Fournette, and even Alvin Kamara on way less of the volume, on a third of the volume uh, that Leonard Fournette got, on a quarter of the volume that Bell went. He had more twenty. Uh, he had more runs of twenty plus yards. So the guy was just incredibly efficient. He had the workhorse kind of treatment for a four week span before he got hurt. That's the kind of the risk here is he is a, a little bit of an injury concern. But in those four weeks, once Montgomery went down, it was Jones and not Williams who got the first call, and he really was thriving. Forty nine yards in a TD week four, 134 yards in a TD in week five, 41 yards in a week six dud, but then 138 total yards in a TD in week seven. So three out of four games was solid RB1 numbers, was the RB5 in that span of the featured work. So the guy showed his talent, clearly explosive guy, and that goes back to college. I mean, on 230 touches in college, he led the league in like yards per carry and all these ridiculous stats. So, I mean, this guy is absurdly explosive. He's going as the 86th pick right now, which is just ridiculous. In terms of just a great opportunity, huge upside. I, I think Aaron Jones, with no other competition, should out, uh, you know, clearly outperform the the shit surrounding him and be the lead guy in an Aaron Rodgers led offense. I mean, what gets better than that? Huge touchdown upside. All right, last winner to talk about before we move on to the losers. We got one in the wide receiver column. That's Juju Smith Schuster. I, I don't even need you baby. to explain this one to me, but go ahead for the people at home. Yeah, and we've already talked about this um, with. With Barry and Mike Wright, I had to bring up Juju multiple times. Somehow still going around five and six, despite Martavis Bryant leaving, which blows my mind. He averaged 32.3% of the target share when Bryant wasn't in the lineup, but Antonio Brown was, as compared to 13.3% when both of them were in the lineup. So you're telling me he's going to get almost 20% more volume without Martavis Bryant there, and he's not going to do better than he already was doing, which was a top – it was borderline a wide receiver one just because of a second-half surge. He wasn't even used really in the first half of the season, but he blew up so much in the second half that he finished – 11th overall in fantasy points at uh, per game with 14.8. And he wasn't, again, relevant until Bryant was uh, fully cemented into Mike Tomlin's doghouse last year. Uh, 922 receiving yards came in four of his 15 games played in that second half of the season. So the guy was just on a torrid pace. I think he continues and he just enters 2018 right where he kind of left off. And dominates. And you just got to love the guy too, right? The celebrations, the swag. Like Juju just got everything about him. To go in rounds five or six where he's going right now, I have as my 13th ranked receiver. And I think I might even be a little too low on him as a 26th overall pick. And he's getting ranked in like the 60s right now. So huge value. That has to correct itself. And if it doesn't, Juju's going to be one of the steals of the draft. You remember how high we were on Martavis Bryant last year? Don't remind me. He's gone. Oh, man. That was, I'm just like, it's bringing, I mean, I agree with you on Juju, but this is just yeah. bringing back horrible memories for me. Awful. Um, I know, yeah. Should we learn our lessons? We went high on Ingram today in the same type of Doug Martin, like, value yeah. setup. We're going high on another number two receiver for the the, um, the Steelers. Maybe we just can't learn our lessons, but I, I think they're, I think uh, We learned some lessons. We've learned, we've learned a few too. We just like to, we like to give ourselves hell, rightfully so, about the ones where, you know, the Eric Decker picks and stuff like that right there, and there was so much uncertainty about Bryant like as high as we were on him we should have we knew we were taking a gamble I feel like there's far less uh Juju is far less of a gamble exactly the, the floor is way higher I mean again he's the 11th overall uh receiver in points per game last year he already was a wide receiver one and that was not being used for the entire first half of the season and not into really until the last like five or six games so I mean if he can do it then I can't even imagine what he could do in a full season. I'm so excited about Juju. Yeah. All right, folks. Uh, That's going to do it for the free agency winners. We're going to be right back and talk about the losers. All right. We are back, and we're going to wrap up the content of this four-part massive series, talking about some of the veteran losers out there. We spent an awful lot of time yesterday talking about the winners, the guys who have benefited from the the draft process, trades, free agency, whatever. We're going to talk about some losers now, some bona fide losers. Uh, and maybe no loser bigger than Tyrod Taylor uh, at the quarterback position. You know, there might be a couple bigger, but at quarterback, I'd say he's clearly our number one loser. 
Uh, obviously, Baker Mayfield is uh, going to play into that substantially if he gets some playing time, which we both think he will. Talk about Tyrod. Think about. Uh, let's talk about what he had in, in, the, in his grasp and then just slip through his fingers and put him in pure loser category. Oh, don't worry. I'll wait for the PA system to be done. <laughs> That's how we do it here at the Roto Street. we got to uh, make use of any time that we can link up. Uh, but... We got Tyrod Taylor plummeting because, like you said, he had something very juicy in his hands, ready to be a, a top 12 quarterback, in my opinion. I had him ranked at quarterback 11 because of what a great situation he was in. One, he had a great line in front of him, but even more important was the weapons he had. Jarvis Landry, Josh Gordon, you know, Duke Johnson out of the backfield, a great pass catcher, Corey Coleman and David Nyoku, both athletic freaks and first-round picks. So, I mean, the explosive weaponry was insane. Todd Haley, the new offensive coordinator, just a very creative mind. We've seen how explosive he's made Pittsburgh offense obviously big ben helps there too and tyler Taylor is no big ben but he definitely squeezes the most out of his talents does todd haley so we had expected great system great surrounding talent and just a good talent himself in tyrod taylor very mobile racks up leg points has always been in the top three in rushing over the last four or five years since he's been starting was the qb8 in back-to-back seasons in 2015 and 2016 despite having no talent and nothing around him so everything seemed like tyrod taylor was about to explode and maybe they drafted developmental quarterback but no they go out and get the most pro ready quarterback that we might have seen in a while with baker mayfield very accurate down the field uh accurate just all over the place but very pro ready in terms of his intangibles his work ethic all that stuff he's got the brains to pick up a pro offense right away so he's gonna be breathing down his neck which obviously makes tyrod taylor's least shorter will he have some qb1 games yeah as long as he lasts i think tyrod taylor will be that qb1 i was just highlighting it's just a matter of how long does that last how long will that leash be they're saying he's going to be the starter but obviously when you draft a guy at number one overall if there's any type of faltering on tyrod's part the pressure is going to be a lot heavier meaning his leash is too short for me to really trust him as anything more than just a bi-week flyer uh or i mean it's just a qb1 flyer and rental is that worth a real draft pick at this point i'm not sure i agree with you 100 percent I thought that you overvalued Tyrod Taylor anyway. I mean, not massively, but I I thought you were putting a little more into him than I would have. The addition of Baker Mayfield, whether I agree with that draft pick at number one or not, certainly is enough to scare me off from the Browns yeah. uh, quarterback. And granted, I bet you Tyrod Taylor will be my, my first DraftKings quarterback to start next year because his price will be low because everyone's going to be talking about Baker Mayfield and whatnot. And I think he's going to have some great games as long as he lasts. Just a matter of two, three losses, and I imagine Baker Mayfield will be right into that lineup. Let's talk running backs. There's always a, Running backs is always a, a healthy you know, a volume position for winners and losers mm-hmm. on stuff like this. Definitely the most guys in the running back category as far Such as the position yeah. go. Right. Uh, we've talked this first guy to death, Rex Burkhead, um, you know, a favorite of the Wolves for, you know, a year or so, maybe even more. And, you know, the addition of Sony Michelle, we think is probably going to hurt him pretty badly, mm-hmm. even with Deion Lewis taking off. Uh, thoughts mm-hmm. on Burkhead real quick? And I'm glad we brought him up because I know we've been a lot grimmer on him with Mike Wright and and uh, Scott Barrett in the last couple of interviews. But since then, there has been a couple reports, you know, the running backs coach coming out and saying Burke has a special talent. We saw what he could really do, especially down the stretch last season. And we want to make sure we're playing into all those strengths. So it sounds like they're not just forgetting about the guy, which is promising. But of course, Sony Michelle, you don't draft a guy at 31st overall when you have such glaring defensive needs without having a huge role in mind. I think Sony's going to dominate he's going around pick 40 to to 50 in that range right now Burkhead's now falling around eight or nine so at that price I mean yes he's a faller and I agree he's a faller but at that price around 90 or so you can lock up that entire backfield again we've talked about how they were the number two in just team collective points uh over the last two seasons at the running back position their their running back scored the second most fancy points in back-to-back years as as a unit that means if you can get those guys for pick 50 and pick 90 and they're gonna be the second Second highest like backfield that you could roll out. There were weeks where you could use Deion Lewis and Rex Burkhead last year. So yeah, he's a faller. Of course he's a faller because Sony Michelle's gonna eat into that role. But ultimately, I think both could be valuable, especially Burkhead at the value he's going at. So he falls, but I'm still not saying I'd avoid him in a draft. You know how much I love Burkhead. I can't avoid the guy. No, I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad that you clarified that because you were yes. a little down on uh, sexy Rexy for a while there. Carlos Hyde, faller in your eyes. Why? Hey. 
It has to be. Nick Chubb's been inserted, who's just pretty much the fresher, younger, more talented version of Carlos Hyde. Now, of course, they threw up $15 million to get Carlos Hyde. He's not going to just fade into the night and be nothing. Uh, and maybe he does get the featured back role out of who, who knows where. But ultimately, you got to consider this is going to be Nick Chubb's job uh, in a committee. So I don't love Chubb either. I don't think this is going to be a backfield that yields a ton of value outside of maybe Duke Johnson in PPR leagues. He'll stay heavily involved. Haley loves attacking uh, defenses with the running back in the passing game. But ultimately, I think Hyde and Chubb kind of do a one-two, good one-two punch. Both have decent week-to-week touchdown upside, but you're never going to know which one is going to be that guy. So Hyde has to be a major faller. Before, he was just a a great, you know, I like Hyde. I think he's a solid talent behind a great line with no real early down competition. I really like to set set up to be a high-end RB2. Now he's a a late-round just bench guy until you see how that backfield shakes out. Chris Carson, I feel like we all know this guy. I mean, to me, like, this guy might even be the top guy on this particular list. I can't. I don't know. I mean, he seems like a bona fide loser. Oh, they're the biggest loser there there is because they've already come out and said Rashad Penny's our three down back. We've raved about how he's going to get 300 plus touches. Well, that's going to come at somebody's expense. And obviously that's Chris Carson, who entering the draft looked like he was the king of the, the mountain of shit that was the the Seahawks backfield. Yep. Uh, but ultimately that is completely relegated now. It's erased. It's vanished. Any volume that you could have expected for Chris Carson is gone. Despite having maybe the best biceps in the NFL, the guy has no more volume coming his way unless Rashad Penny is a complete bust or gets hurt, in which case he's no more than an upside flying handcuff is Chris Carson at this point. Peyton Barber, everybody was looking at him to be like, oh, uh, Doug Martin's on the way out. Peyton Barber is the heir apparent. Not so mm-hmm. fast, right? Not so fast. And even though he led the team in rushing last year, and really that all came in the last five weeks, he he's nothing too special. And that was really just more a... a indictment on how bad their backfield was last year than it was Peyton Barber doing anything that special. Whereas Ronald Jones does bring some very special explosiveness to the table. Um, Even if he's not the best pass catcher yet, Jones is going to be the heir apparent at this point. Just a matter of, you know, they've already come out and said, as Scott Barrett pointed out, that Barber's still with us. Barber's still involved. Early beat writer saying this is going to be a committee early on. But you got to imagine Ronald Jones is going to show more and eventually pull away. And even if he doesn't, do you really want a committee-trapped guy behind a bad offensive line? Not particularly. So Barber just has no real value. There's got to be better upside picks like Tariq Cohen or, you know, guys like that going in that range that are bring a lot more to the table than what you're going to get out of Peyton Barber this year. Wide receivers, Jordy Nelson. I predict Jordy Nelson is going to be exposed in a major way this year. Um, You know, I don't even know so much if I would call him a loser, you know, as far as like his landing spot as far. But I mean, maybe you call him a loser just because now he's not with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, is that what you're saying? Well, of course, that was the first blow to his value was leaving Aaron Rodgers, who he's made just magic with uh, year in year. And we've never seen Jordy Nelson be able to sustain that with any other quarterback. So it really does seem like he was completely dependent on Aaron Rodgers. Derek Carr is is an ascending quarterback, a solid talent that could still probably make those one-on-one balls and mismatches work. But after that blow, he then gets Martavis Bryant added to the mix. And now he's contending, you know, for even more targets down deep, down the seams. Red zone volume could decrease when you got a 6'4", muscular guy like Bryant in there. Everything just, this offseason has been horrible to Jordy Nelson. Maybe it makes him like some screaming value. He's fallen to 150 or so in my rankings. So maybe Jordy just proves all of us wrong and all these negative things added up just to make him a great value. I don't see it though in terms of competition for targets decrease in surrounding talent up you know it's just all around an awful offseason for Jordy and I will not be drafting him anywhere no I I won't either uh, hey. rest assured uh, I've been joined on the set now by my son so uh there he l- is. luckily that was the last guy on our losers list so uh, we'll be right back to wrap this thing up right after this all right we are back we're gonna wrap things up but we would be uh, remiss if we did not let the wolf talk about one winner who was not named when we went over our winners and that of course Hunter Henry, absence of Antonio Gates, we think. Uh, is it is that official? 
It's not necessarily official, but the team has said they're not looking to re-sign Gates. Right. So, yes, it is kind of official right. at this point. Gates hasn't landed anywhere else necessarily, but he's not coming back to the Chargers, which is huge news for Hunter Henry. The talent's always been flashed there. Athletic freak. Uh, seventh most points per game in 2017, and that was still underwhelming. Um, that's because he only saw 44% of the tight end targets, whereas the corpse of Antonio Gates was seeing 54%, which is just absurd when you look at the talent we've seen here. Henry finished this via Scott Barrett again, episode three. If you haven't listened in, an incredible guy comes up with great stats. Henry finished 2017 with the seventh most fantasy points per game in 2017, has at least 70 receiving yards or scored a touchdown in 17 of his 25 targeted games. Now, of course, that, that there's some wordsmith play there, as Mike Wright pointed out. Those targeted games, he had a couple games last year where he just didn't even receive a target. Right. Completely destroyed your line. I mean, was, we remember those games. I, I, I was doing winners and losers of the week. I mean, I think he was my loser of the week on two different occasions. At least twice. Yeah, at he least. had a couple real duds. But then you got to imagine those games are erased at this point with Gates, Gates completely removed. Phillip Rivers just always loved targeting his tight ends down the seams, uh, in the red zone. This is a guy that had eight touchdowns as a rookie at the hardest position to, to translate to. So I just love what I've seen from Henry. I, he's a beast at 6'4". I mean, the guy has everything that you'd want out of your tight end. He's now going to finally see that volume to capitalize on the efficiency he's been showing, which gives me the, the idea that he's going to be this year's Ertz. Uh, jumping from that mid-round, he's going around five, six. You know, round five would be a reach at this point. He's going around six or seven. He's my guy that goes in round six or seven and becomes the next Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, joining that tier uh, thanks to the immense volume he's about to see. All right. You heard it here. Probably not first, but you heard it here. Hunter Henry, winner, following free agency, following uh, the offseason, whatever you want to call it. We think We're the like, only people we, who matter, baby. Well, I mean, right. I mean, someone else might have said it, but nobody of consequence. Right. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Well, if you got any social media you want to share? As always, if you liked what you heard, please give us five stars. And just let us know this is the end of a four-pack series. We'd love to know what your thoughts are, especially if you're new to us. If Barrett or Mike Wright kind of drew you in, what did you think of our content as well? What do you think of the interviews? Did you like those guys? And what do you think of these stock profiles and the stock watch and all our unique segments? We'd love to learn more and just continue to perfect our product here and just be better fantasy minds for you guys and help you win your titles. So any feedback, especially if you're a new listener, we'd love to hear. Uh, and if you're an old listener, let us know what you think of a four-pack series like what we did. But of course, you can give us that feedback on Facebook, Roto Street Journal, same place on Instagram, just DM us, Roto ST Journal on Twitter and Snapchat, and me personally, Roto Street Wolf on Twitter and Snapchat. The Twitter's been blowing up lately. I don't know if you saw that. I released my big board and it got over you know 30 retweets, over 60 likes. I've got about like 80 comments on the thing at this point, some great debates. Uh, my goal is to answer every single comment that I get, every single question that I get. That's really my goal as an analyst and how I plan to separate from the pack is I actually care about your teams. So please let me know your thoughts. Big debates going on about Deshaun Watson already. People saying I'm too low on Russell Wilson and just tons of everything in between there. So come at me. Let me know your thoughts on the big board. Hit me up on all those social medias and just keep being loyal listeners. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I mean, shoot, we, we put out a Pat Mahomes video that's got like on YouTube that's got like five six thousand views, which is pretty surprising. Awesome uh, stuff, Chiefs yeah, Nation. We're listening, hit, Chiefs Nation. We'll we'll keep firing away. And um, you know how much we love him. Anytime you want to talk about Pat Mahomes, I'll go. And Tyree Kill too. You love him, of too. course. Oh, love it. All right, uh, my name is Nat the Truth Jones, and I'm the Wolf. See you guys later. You want to say bye? Mm. All right. <laughs> we used to have it all. Now's our curtain call So hold for the applause Oh, oh, oh And wave out to the crowd And take our final bow Oh, it's our time to go But at least we stole the show 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown, oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.